0: Good afternoon everyone. Welcome to the January 19th episode of Poets and Muses where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host Imogen A-Rate. You can follow us at poetsandmuses.com and on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and SoundCloud under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. With us today is Amp, with whom I will be discussing her poem, To the Republic, and my poem, faded Glory. Before we do that, however, I am going to go over all the poetry events taking place in the Phoenix metro area during the week of January 20th. On Monday, January 20th, from 6 to 8 p.m., ASU Project Humanities will be hosting Vital Voices Celebrating Toni Morrison Open Mic at the Black Theater Troupe, which is at 1333 East Washington Street in Phoenix. You can register for the event on Eventbrite. From 8 to 10 p.m., Phoenix Firebird Events will be hosting its Open Mic Mondays at Smooth Brew Coffee, which is at 504 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic is between 7 and 7.30 p.m. On Tuesday, January 21st, from 6 to 8 p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting its weekly poetry writing workshop in Room 101 of the Chandler Community Center, which is at 125 East Commonwealth Avenue in Chandler. On Wednesday, January 22nd, from 5 to 10 p.m., Walt Richardson II will be hosting his Walk-In Wednesday's Open Mic Night at the Tempe Center for the Arts at 700 West Rio Salado Parkway in Tempe. As always, youth performers will go on between 5 and 6, and all other performers will go on between 6 and 10 p.m. Signing up for the first part starts at 4.45 p.m. Signing up for the second part starts at 5 p.m. On Thursday, January twenty third, from 6 to 9 p.m., Fat Soul's Pizza will be hosting its weekly open mic night at 3131 East Thunderbird Road in Phoenix. From 6.15 to 8.15 p.m., Natalie Diaz and the Center for Imagination in the Borderlands will be hosting their reading and performance launch celebration at Katzen Concert Hall, which is in the Music Building West at ASU in Tempe. The address is 50 Gamage Parkway in Tempe. From 8 to 11 p.m., Quinton Oney will be hosting his weekly open mic at Jobot Coffee and Bar, which is at 333 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7 p.m. From 9.45 p.m., Atlas St. Cloud will be hosting his weekly poetry writing workshop at the Welcome Diner at 929 East Pierce Street in Phoenix. On Friday, January 24th, from 6 to 10 p.m., Sozo Coffee will be having their open mic night at 1982 North Elma School Road in Chandler. From 7 to 9 p.m., Flipside, the poet, will be hosting his Confessions Poetry Showcase, including Leah Marche, who was one of our past poet guests. This will be taking place at the Concierge Bistro Bar, which is at 1140 East Washington Street, Suite 101 in Phoenix. On Saturday, January 25th, from 7 to 9 p.m., Tamika Sanders, or Dr. T, will be hosting her I Got the Last Word poetry contest at Aroma Mocha Coffee, which is at 506 East Western Avenue, Suite 103 in Avondale. And now let us turn to our poet guest of the week, Amp. Hi Amp. Thank you for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course. So you brought with you today the poem To the Republic, but before we get into it, I would
1: love it if you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, so I'm 14. Uh, I'm still in high school. I'm a sophomore right now. Mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Mesa, Arizona. Mm-hmm. So, you know, pretty much everybody around me, other than my immediate family, is just, you know, really conservative. And so my immediate family and I have always gone against the grain of what we've been around. Mm-hmm. And at my school, every day they make us do a Pledge of Allegiance. Mm-hmm. And around last year, when I started really getting into activism and feminism especially, Mm -hmm. I just realized that I I don't need to be standing for something that's not being reflected in Mm -hmm. my country. And so this poem is just kind of a response to that because this year when I switched classes, there were some new people that didn't know me last year. They just really started making fun of me for it. Mm And so this was kind of my response to them explaining myself. Mm-hmm. And I think this this type of poem is really needed because the Pledge of Allegiance is something that's so ingrained into our society and not that many people really realize like what it means. You mm-hmm. know, it, It's like robotic almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think just really thinking about it and what it's trying to say and I guess kind of analyzing it is just super needed for something like that. Mm-hmm. And
0: in terms of poetry,
1: how did you come to write poetry, and when? I have been just in love with words since I was born, basically. Like, Mm -hmm. I started writing when I was three years old, and it was just, you know, short stories about shapes and music. Mm -hmm. And then once I got into the activism community when I was around 12, it just inspired me, and I kept on wanting to write more and more. Right, right. So, yeah.
0: And when I spoke with you and your mom before, She had mentioned that you started writing
1: poetry since you were five? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, my uh, first poem that I really remember was Every Flower Has Its Center. And it was, like, just an analogy about Mm -hmm. how, like, family – is like pollen for flowers, and like it was basically just my science class combined with family. Right, well that's wonderful actually, yeah. uh, not a lot of
0: first-time poets would write something that's so allegorical, you know, <laughs> metaphorical as well, yeah. um, and and it sounds amazing. If you haven't listened to it, you should hear Imani, the lyricist, who also started very young um, in, in terms of writing lyrics and poetry and she's also a wordsmith and she's only 25. I mean (laughs) 10 years older but still it's amazing and you can sort of see from her what trajectory you have the amazing possibilities potential so it's wonderful that you're using your talent toward activism and what made you decide at 12 to go into activism?
1: Um well Instagram basically ah, okay yeah so I mean you know the suggested people you should follow it was right. just this like I was like whoa like what's feminism this sounds so cool and so you know I looked on their page and I was like oh my gosh like this is what I've been raised to believe but it's mm-hmm. just it's more defined it's more mm-hmm. like prominent in it and I started to realize that it was so necessary Mm -hmm. and so you know then I fell down the Instagram rabbit hole and I just found more and more (laughs) yes Yes, definitely I
0: I think Instagram as well as other social media they're wonderful in terms of helping you find things that you are already interested in the more you click on it the more you have it on the other hand it doesn't broaden out our outlooks as much as we like to sometimes you know mm-hmm. because it's just like it's the same thing over and over i'm like no no i, I want something new and mm-hmm. but it's still wonderful to learn that there is a positive effect to social media because yeah. a lot of it, so it can be so negative right? mm-hmm, exactly cool and have you followed uh, Colin Kaepernick
1: and Kaepernick and what he's been doing? Yeah, so actually I started sitting down before that entire like thing happened because mm-hmm. it was just like an idea that I had. I was like, you know, like I'm basically like saying lies. And so it just like, I was like, oh, I should sit down. And then when Colin Kaepernick did it and when Megan Rapinoe started kneeling and all this stuff and she refused to go to the White House and all these amazing things happened, it really like, confirm that what I was doing is, like, it's right, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, uh, let us hear this poem. Okay. To
1: the Republic. Okay. To the Republic. At school, they used to make fun of me for not standing during the Pledge of Allegiance. As if I could ever bear pledging myself to a country that so easily claims liberty and justice for all. As if I could ever bear pledging myself to such lies of unity and indivisibility. Indivisibility. More like invisibility. More like there wouldn't be Queer Days of Visibility or Hispanic Heritage Month or Black History Month or a wage gap if we weren't already invisible to begin with. They mock me as I sit in class. Amongst a sea of standing students chanting lies over the loudspeaker, my atheist friend is pledging herself to the one nation under God. Who's God? My black disabled friend is pledging himself to a country who underestimates and overgeneralizes him, a country who had to begin an entire movement just to prove that his life mattered. What kind of justice is that? And across from me, this group of seemingly rich entitled straight white boys are staring coldly at me, screaming this pledge of allegiance to my face, like they're begging me to accept the fact that I'm not like them. Like they're shoving down my throat the guilt that comes with pointing out the truth. My shoulders begin to roll in. If only I didn't have such a loud voice. If only I didn't take up so much space. If only I was able to just be quiet. It's like the walls were closing in and this boy's face is just grimacing, sneering, dismissing what I have to say. His nose begins to crinkle and his eyes start to squint, and all of a sudden my ears begin to flood and ring. With not all men and MAGA hats and Second Amendment rights and pro-life mantras and catcalls brushed off as compliments, I feel the physical pain that comes with the absurd amount of injustice in this country. This land of the free and home of the brave. And finally, all of them say in unison, with liberty and justice for all. And so, my bisexual female Jewish self remains in silent protest yet again, preparing myself to do it all over again tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. I forget if you have mentioned when you wrote this poem. This was near the beginning of this school year, around October. Okay,
0: so you had talked about how after you've been transferred to a new class you know, with some people who didn't know what you have been doing over the last past year, mm-hmm. you felt something like a alienation, right? Mm-hmm. And, or, and that obviously comes through through your poem where you talked about
1: the boys. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I do say, like, you know, seemingly rich, straight, entitled white boys, and, you know, feminism as a whole comes across sometimes, like, we really just hate people that fall under those categories, and that's really not true, Mm -hmm. um, because the whole point of intersectional feminism is so that... People don't generalize. Mm. And so I only labeled these boys that way because I had spent enough time in the same class as them to realize what kind of people they were and that they were in fact entitled rich white boys. And the whole problem that I have with those type of people is that they don't recognize their privilege. Mm. You know, when you're born with a certain skin color, like, I'm white. So I know that there are things in life that will come to me more easily because I am white. But I recognize that privilege and I don't take advantage of it. And I recognize that other people aren't like that. Mm-hmm. And the whole issue with these boys is that they don't realize that they don't have an open mind. Mm. Anybody that doesn't have an open mind is just—I don't even know the word for it—but it it bothers me like to no end. And like, bothers mm-hmm. is such a such a small, small term for the ignorance I think and the arrogance that they have is just what really is painful to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's been a few months since you wrote this. Mm-hmm. Have
0: you had a chance to engage with them in conversation? You say you found out that they do fit into what you wrote about them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So. What interactions have you had with them to make you
1: realize that? So just the other day, actually, a couple weeks ago, I had to defend polyamory to them. And I'm not polyamorous, but still, like, it's a thing that exists. Mm -hmm. And they just couldn't fathom it because they'd never been exposed to it, which is no fault of their own. But the fact that they were so, so against it. And I said, like, why? And they said, well, because you can't be committed to more than one person. And I said, really, you're not committed to both your mother and your father equally? You're not committed to all members of your family? Mm-hmm. And they said, no, it's it's different for romance. And I said, no, it's, it's really not. Just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And they just couldn't be convinced of it. And, you know, that's the only example that came to mind. But There were so many other times where I had to defend things that were so obviously things that people experience. But just because they or someone they know or love hasn't experienced it, they couldn't fathom it and they dismissed it. Yeah, I mean, I find that
0: true with, (laughs) I'm sure your mom will agree, in the adult world as well. People do tend to live in whatever world they live in. And we don't often get the opportunity to peek outside of our world. And if we're not curious, like you seem to be, we don't get to see a world that's outside of ourselves. Even if that world is at the tip of your fingertips, like mm-hmm. on the internet. Mm-hmm. Or just around you in different neighborhoods, because I still find I'm pretty new to Phoenix and Arizona in general. Um, But I still find that a lot of neighborhoods are very insular and, you know, people tend to stick to their own quote-unquote, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. So even if you ended up having this confrontation with these boys, I think it's wonderful that you brought a subject matter that they didn't know to their purview Mm -hmm. and that maybe some of them in the future, as they develop as boys and men, Mm -hmm. that they might think back and say, oh, that thing. Because, I mean, I personally have had that experience. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, we can be stubborn as well in our lives and then we look back and we're like, oh, that thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. so what other activism do you do? You mentioned that you're doing activism in uh, feminism
1: as well as uh, as equality. Yeah, Um, so I think... Uh, Issues like racial justice and things like that are just daily things that you have to work at, Um, Mm -hmm. especially for me and my age right now. You know, I can't really, you know, like run for Congress. So (laughs) Um, It's just, you know, daily things that you always have to bring to the table for those sort of things. But also... I'm getting super into environmentalism lately, Mm -hmm. and so I am with an organization, it's called Climate Strike, it's nationwide, um, but of course I'm in the Arizona branch, um, so it's called Climate Strike AZ, Mm -hmm. and it's a youth-led organization, and you know, there are a bunch of different teams that you could be a part of, I personally am in the event planning team. We organized a climate strike um, just recently, December uh, 6th. Yeah, yeah, it was
0: very recent, right? It mm-hmm. was a worldwide event. Yeah. It's wonderful that you talk about that, and you read a poem about that the other day as well. Yeah. I mean, they all feed into each other, as mm-hmm. you probably realize, um, that a lot of people who are being marginalized also mm-hmm. suffer more from climate change and food deserts and and things of that nature are you doing things in your school as well is climate strike working within your school
1: at my school so like I said I go to a very conservative school and so they do not like things to be shaken up they don't Mm -hmm, like anything mm -hmm. remotely controversial Mm -hmm. um and sometimes they just choose to ignore the mountains of evidence, uh, about climate change. Right. So I can't do anything with the school other than just hand out flyers. Mm-hmm. But I am bringing in uh, LGBTQ plus awareness to my school. Right. It has to be an informal group as of right now. Um, right. But I'm getting a group together, mainly just my friends right now. And we're teaming up with other clubs at my school. Like mm-hmm. one of them is like a volunteering club. Right. I'm getting together together for us and organizing like LGBTQ homeless shelters and things like that Mm -hmm. so that we can go and volunteer and just other forms of subtle awareness to start because I know that when I first got to this school everything just seemed very like formal Mm -hmm. Uh, and one of the main things it was so small but it affected me so much that on one of the teachers windows there was a sticker and it said, all are welcome here. And it had a heart. And that was crazy to me because I was like, wow, like even just that little smidgen of acceptance was okay. Like I have some sort of place here, you know? So I really want more of that for people to have that same feeling. Right,
0: right. And it's wonderful that you know, even though they are a conservative school, that they have allowed you to do this thing even on a just volunteer informal basis, right? Mm -hmm. So there is that, just as you encounter with the sticker, there is that some acceptance and there is that opening. And even though your groups are with your friends right now, but they have friends, that Mm -hmm. is going to be a wider part of the school. So I think, you know, building and, and being patient and, you know, continuing your work Will be helpful. Will help you to reach more and more people right. over over the years that you're going to be in the school. Mm-hmm. So you just got there, I guess, two years ago. You're a sophomore.
1: Yeah, right? last year, ninth grade is my first year. Oh, okay.
0: So that's wonderful that you're doing so much already. So you had talked about running for Congress or, or, you know, not old enough to do that yet. Is that something that you
1: want to do? I think it really depends on who's in office by the time I get there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it depends on what type of change is needed. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, I'm planning on going to college for some sort of combination of women, gender and sexuality studies, Mm -hmm. but also psychology, because Mm -hmm. that's That's been one of my passions since I was little, little. Almost my entire mom's side of my family is in some sort of psychology field. Mm -hmm. And so I guess it's kind of like in my blood. Um, (laughs) And so I think I really want to do something to change the world, but I don't really know about government yet. Right. I think Mm -hmm. more on a people base.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, government is people based. Some, yeah. You know, sometimes you do have to meet with your constituents. I think mm-hmm. depending on the congressional representative, they will each will have a different experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Is there an opportunity in your school to maybe interact with local congressional
1: representatives to give you an idea what that feels like? no not really because they're not into controversy my whole school is it's called a classical liberal arts school mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is basically just you know a nice way of saying like we're old-fashioned like you're, we're <laughs> stubborn you're not gonna change us so a lot of western canon yes. literature okay. only yeah in 11th grade you have to read the bible Oh, and wow. we don't get to read any other religious book. Wow. Is it
0: the Old Testament and the New Testament or
1: just the New um, Testament? I'm not sure, but we'll see. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. interesting
0: because, mm-hmm. I mean, part of me, because I also did an English slip, but a non traditional one, mm-hmm. I read a lot of uh, diaspora. Uh, literature, and also literature from non-Western communities and countries. So it was a very interesting experience. At the same time, the Western canon is still referenced so much, it forms the backbone of our country's literary studies and yeah and the bible in itself is referenced so much because a lot of literature you know in the beginning when there was no formalized education a lot of education came through the church mm-hmm. or came through different religious groups and i think judaism as has this wonderful tradition of study and again it's also rooted in in the torah and in the old testament mm-hmm. so in a way. And think if we can keep ourselves open minded again about this open mindedness, reading the Bible might not be a bad thing in terms of just informing your literary studies. Mm-hmm. I did attempt this myself, but it was it was a little bit too much because like for me i started with the old testament it was a lot of genealogy to begin with i was like this is gossipy i'm not gonna read that. yeah <laughs> so but i still thought that it was very informative for what i learned so i think it might be interesting especially given the perspective that you bring because there are mentions of the lgbtq community there are instances of old-fashioned, more male-dominated polyamory. I'm putting air quotes on that. Yeah. Because <laughs> it just tends to be like the men do whatever they want and the women stay home and suffer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whereas, can you explain a little bit to the listening audience about polyamory, if you don't mind? Because it is on the periphery of different ways people can love each other Mm -hmm. and i don't think a lot of people are exposed to it or Mm -hmm. have any understanding of it so Mm -hmm. if you're not uncomfortable
1: no i mean to the listening audience like i am not super super informed about it i can't really go into a lot of detail but There's a lot of stigma around it, and I'm sure a lot of people are thinking the same way that the boys in my class did that you can't be committed to more than one person and it'll mess with your moral compass and all of these crazy things. When really, the key to understanding anything about the LGBTQ spectrum is that every single person is different. Everyone has a different case. Everyone has different ways of loving each other, like Mm -hmm. you said. And so I think polyamory, there are a bunch of different forms of it. Any gender, any sexual orientation, it's just when more than two people love each other. And there are a lot of different really good sources. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but that can explain it a lot better than I can from, you know, personal experience. And some polyamorous couples start out as just two, and then they meet the third one along the way. And, you know, the original couple discusses and they agree that they would love to be like a threeple. And so, you know, it's just, it's all about Making sure that your partner or partners are okay. You know, it all goes back to consent. Right? So, right. Yeah. consent,
0: a lot of communication, mm-hmm. and usually that's the part that fails and then that collapses the relationship because it is mm-hmm. difficult and it's not new, but it's new in the sense that it's more in the mainstream now. There's been some shows about it. i only watch a little bit i don't really know too much mm. and you know whenever it's a reality tv show you you can never really base any yeah. kind of your understanding of life on those things it's uh. more like oh that exists yeah <laughs> thank you for explaining it just for people who are listening amp's mother is here <laughs> <laughs> and, and so and it's good to get somebody's understanding i think especially from someone who's just starting to understand what it means to have romantic love in their lives
1: mm-hmm.
0: so thank you for explaining that yeah. so you have mentioned this after you talked about the voice mm-hmm. and you said they're screaming this pledge of allegiance to my face like they're begging me to accept the fact that i'm not like them like they're shoving down my throat the guilt that comes with pointing out the truth
1: Can you explain that guilt? Yeah, so, especially in the environment that I grew up in, people don't really like loud voices. And people especially are afraid of change because when people just get so in their way, it just, you know, nothing else seems right. Mm -hmm. And so there's always... A group of people that are gonna say like oh like you're wrong you don't know what you're talking about and things like that and you know I say my shoulders begin to roll and if only I didn't have such a loud voice because with activism there comes this internal conflict where it's necessary these things need to be said. like the rules need to be changed But also, there are going to be very personal consequences that come with that. People Mm -hmm. are going to judge you. People are going to be scared of you. People are going to think that you just complain all the time. Mm. When really, (laughs) they don't see the other side of the internal conflict where nothing gets changed if you just sit down and be quiet. Like people need to complain all the time for things to get done. Right. And Halsey is one of my favorite artists, Mm -hmm. and in one of her less popular songs, one that didn't go on the radio, Nightmare, it's all about activism and feminism, and one of my favorite lines from that song is, I'm tired and angry, but somebody should be, and I think that's just, like, one of my biggest mantras, you know, like, yes, I complain, like, yes, I'm gonna, you know, stand up, I'm gonna keep on talking, Mm -hmm. because somebody needs to. Right. Right.
0: Yeah, and as you said, it is very tiring because Mm -hmm. every morning you kind of have to get up and make either a conscious or subconscious decision to fight.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And it's a lot to take on, especially when you're dealing with so much in your Mm life, especially as a teenager, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. So I think, and your mom probably has told you this already, is that it's okay once in a while to just be a teenager,
1: Mm right?
0: Right. Yeah. And then store up your energy, refresh yourself, and then when you're ready to fight again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, life is, you know, long. It's going to be long. And yeah. we do have to fight because as a young woman who's in these intersectional communities facing in this age a resurgence of anti-Semitism as well mm-hmm. as this unfortunate backlash to any kind of gain in the LGBTQ plus rights. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's hoisted on you to fight. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah. you don't get to choose. Mm-hmm. But once in a while, when you get the time, it's okay. Yeah. Take a vacation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, is that is that something that you do do? You try to give yourself the space to do? Um and how do you do
1: that you know (laughs) I okay so the school that I go to takes up so much time I have like two to three hours of homework per night and especially when it's you know in that strike preparing time most nights after I finish homework I'm just kind of absorbed with okay what permits do I need you know where do I need to go to who do I need to talk to But, you know, when things do finally start to calm down, like, especially, you know, winter break is coming up, and I have off of school, we're going to Palm Springs, like, you know, yeah, those are the times when I really get to just really, like, decompress, like, you know, when I get out of, you know, my... Mesa bubble and I like <laughs> try to go somewhere else and you know be somewhere where there is more diversity where I don't need to fight as much like mm-hmm. those are my escapes really. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's really nice. We try to take a vacation once every year. That's good. That's yeah. Good. Yeah, it's really good to have that
0: to be able to refresh yourself. And if you haven't heard of it, you should try going to District 4 Poetry because it's in Mesa. Yeah. And it happens every third Thursday of the month. And it brings in a pretty diverse group of people. Um, so you could feel like you don't need to fight so much. You could just feel accepted. And that's a nice sort of like a spiritual hug. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually, that's
0: where I met the first high schooler I interviewed, Lupe Castro. And she okay. was, I think... She was your age? No, she was 15 when I interviewed her. I think she might be 16 now. And I haven't seen her in a while, but there's another event that you might consider going to as well. It's also in Mesa. It's at the Nile. There's a Wordplay Cafe, and actually you might run into Lupe over there as well. That's the second Thursday of the month. The third Thursday of the month is District 4 Poetry, which is at Jared's. Which is sort of diagonally across from the Nile, and he has these wonderful art that he rotates. Um, cool. Since your mom just reminded us about <laughs> your travels,
1: if you want to tell oh, us a little bit about um, that, yeah, sure. So I like to think I'm I'm pretty cultured. I've been to almost all the continents, about four of them. Nice. You know, which and, ones? Uh, I've been to Australia. Okay. I've been to Asia because we went to Israel uh, for my and my cousin's uh, bar and bat mitzvah. Okay. Um, I've been to Europe, I've mm-hmm. been to Italy, France, uh, and London in Europe. Mm-hmm. I've been to South America, I've been to Costa Rica, right. and you know, obviously I live in North America, so. Right, right, right. <laughs> And I'm not going to Antarctica. (laughs) Well, you should. Well, although right now
0: it's for climate change, we should not go. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, if it wasn't happening, then we should all just go check it out, just to Mm -hmm. say you've seen it. Yeah.
1: See see the penguins. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, You can see the penguins in South Africa. oh yeah i really want
1: to go to africa yeah yeah yeah
0: Yeah. it's it's a beautiful place and there's so many different cultures so much history cradle Mm of human Mm -hmm. civilization before the middle east Mm -hmm. and so you
1: have published your mom said Mm -hmm. yeah i've been like professionally published once and i'm you know trying to get published again but yeah when i was around 13 or 12 11? Wow. It's been a while. Um, <laughs> I uh, I wrote a pretty short poem. Um, it was about my dad. Mm-hmm. So he lives in New York. Um, he's oh. a severe alcoholic. It was kind of at the time when I was just coming to understanding, you know, what that meant. Mm-hmm. But it was also before I kind of knew that it wasn't his fault. You know, like, right. alcoholism is a disease. He can't do anything about it. Right, right, It was just at the time where I just felt, I guess, just really confused. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, like, I don't know why this is happening type right. situation. And it was called This Isn't a Princess Story. Mm. And I don't remember how the first part goes. but I know the last two lines are, now you're millions of miles away. Will there ever be a happy end?" Mm-hmm. so it was you know right after he moved to New York and I was like you know what's going on right because um, it was when it was one of his bouts that was just really really bad but it was it was just after you know I had been visiting him like every week maybe every month at a halfway house and mm-hmm. we were starting to have like as good of a bond as I think there ever could be because I wasn't raised with him, you know. Right. My parents divorced when I was one years old, so right. I called him dad, but I didn't think of him the same way that I thought about mom. Right. right. So he was kind of like a side character for a while. Right. And when the side character of your book just, like, leaves and you never hear from him again, you get right. kind of confused. Right. So that's just kind of where I was at. Right. Right. Um,
0: and where was the... How did you get to
1: publish? Yeah so I was in seventh grade at the time and mm. I had this English teacher that I hated so much but she just like really loved me and she was like you know I think I think we should enter you into a poetry contest <laughs> and I was like okay and so she did right. and and then I won and then I got published <laughs> so it was just kind of you know chance. Right, right. yeah pretty unexpected
0: from somebody you
1: don't Really like
0: yeah, <laughs> who who likes you so much? I guess and, and yeah, really appreciated your writing. So yeah, really nice. I'm now forever thankful for her. Yeah. I, I I guess you you've seen her and you told her. I mean, she knows about it. Yeah, so mm-hmm. cool. cool. Yeah, cool. are
1: you still in touch with her? I am not. After that year, her and her husband just like left. So I never they went back to Texas or something. Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: okay. Yeah. So. yeah, that happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, there's uh, a lot of people
0: who, you know, become transient, both the teacher as well as your dad. Uh, Sometimes they're very unfortunate, especially as you're developing this relationship Mm -hmm. and having a bond that he moved.
1: Was it for work? No, it was because he didn't have the resources in Arizona to, like you know better himself right right. because you know my mom had like her life and like she had to raise me and you know she has a really hard job that she has to work at a lot and his parents died before i was born Mm -hmm. um so he had to go to new york because that's where most of his family was that's where his sisters and uh brother was and all of my cousins and everything so he had a much better environment to kind of help him better himself okay so his support network is over there yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, hey, this might eventually give you a chance to visit New York, which is pretty cool. I'm from New York, I have to say that. Oh, okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I went there when I was about 10, Um, so around the time that I wrote that poem. And, you know, I saw him, and it was a really cool experience, Mm -hmm. Um, and I haven't seen him since, but we're hoping, like, spring break maybe, I'm going to go and try to see him again
0: okay yes Yeah. new york could be decent yeah (laughs) i
1: would say the best time is in the fall
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
1: Yeah. i've only been there in the winter for Uh, christmas oh christmas is not that bad january february the absolute worst oh yeah i'm thankful i was not there then
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah christmas can be actually very pretty because all the lights are on and you know everywhere it's all a lot of holiday cheer yeah um i don't see a lot of things about Hanukkah even though it's New York and mm-hmm. it's very cosmopolitan and very international yet yeah. sometimes they you know Christmas just overwhelms mm-hmm. everything else yeah definitely. I mean you can't even see Kwanzaa at all there's no hint of Kwanzaa oh anywhere. yeah <laughs> so sad. Mm-hmm. yeah but I'm sure because New York is such a big place and such multicultural place if you search for things I mean definitely uh for for Hanukkah Mm -hmm. But for Kwanzaa, you can definitely find that. But it requires, again, some effort. Mm -hmm. Um, So I pick my poem based off of your poem about this disconnect between an idealism, which is within the Pledge of Allegiance, and the actuality of what's going on in the world. So my poem has also some of those themes. And it's called Faded Glory. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it on July 4th.
1: Not oh, okay. this past one,
0: but the one before. Mm. So I'll read that now and we can talk about it. Okay. He headed the heartbreakers and died from a heartbreak, self-induced with substances introduced toward away the pain. Of songs created from poignant days, now hawking something insignificant in thirty seconds of fame. Sympathy for the devil now sells a luxury vehicle to particular men of wealth and taste. For irony is found in irony loss when the skim surface is valued and the depth below tossed. Hippies who rocked out for Jimmy traded tie-dyed for suit and tie. Free love transforms into free hate for Jimmy's kin and kind. Exoticized misunderstood religions of others once used to escape the oppression of elders in countercultures glorified, now commercialized in bottle chai and franchised yoga chains. Sitar strains underlay appropriated refrains, though appreciation for the culture and people fates, used and discarded without lasting reparations, like Afghan poppy fields for many decades since. Though causes galore raise money for the poor, Starving eyes still implored for deeper connections and structural changes,
1: historical relations never explored. I love that one. (laughs) Thank you. I think it's super cool that you, like, um, talked about cultural appropriation because Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the, like, most misunderstood and overlooked things like Mm -hmm. in this country and people just don't really understand like what it means Mm -hmm. and culture appropriation is something that's super sensitive to me because you know obviously you guys can't see um but as I said I am white and I get box braids and Just recently, I've had, like, a big struggle about it because, you know, I didn't know, like, is this culture appropriation? Is this not? And, you know, I finally came to terms that, you know, I grew up around this. Like, I danced um, street styles, like, Mm hip-hop for 10 years. Like, I was raised around this, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, it only felt natural to me. And, like, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm still always embracing it, not Mm -hmm. stealing it. Right. But... Yeah, I think it's really important that, like, people understand why you can't just, you know, bottle chai and, like, do yoga without knowing the roots.
0: Right, that's the thing. As you said, if it's something you grew up with, and I think for people from marginalized communities, when they see that, A, somebody is taking some of the beauty from their culture, but saying to them, but we don't want you. Mm -hmm. we don't want you to be a part of our lives we just want what we're comfortable taking that's one of the things that's very painful because it's from the people that the culture comes without people there would not be culture right and the other aspect of it is that people who are using let's say traditional instruments who are from more mainstream cultures they become famous they you know, like the Beatles using sitar strings in some of their music. They made millions off of that. Yet the cultures themselves, until recently, Prince Harry, before mm-hmm. he became all enlightened and stuff, mm-hmm. he had called in the military, he dressed, you know, for a party as a Nazi. And then he also, in the military, he called somebody a Paki, which is a very derogative way of saying anyone from the south asian continent like Mm -hmm. that descent yet the Beatles made so much money off of that particular culture indian culture so you know you see that both like incredible prejudice going on at the same time that people from mainstream culture are able to make so much money out of just bringing something, quote, unquote, exotic. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very painful experience for people. And if you look up Sean Avery, who's another poet that I had interviewed uh, a few months back, he has this wonderful poem, I forget exactly, and he talks about this exact thing. He was talking about, you know, nobody want to be black but everybody wants hip hop, everybody wants braids, you know, mm-hmm. things like that that you're aware of, mm-hmm. which is good. And I think being aware of is a wonderful start. Having friends from multiple cultures to try to understand different experiences mm-hmm. is, is beautiful and wonderful. And that's how people can feel like, okay, you're not just taking what you think is cool about me and leaving me behind. Mm-hmm yeah so i'm glad that that's something that you thought about and it's really cool because i didn't notice your box braids the Mm -hmm. first time i saw you i was Mm -hmm. like interesting yeah yeah and then but i also heard your poem so i understand that you are aware of it it's Mm -hmm. not just something like oh this is cool uh, and i don't care about anything else about your culture i'm um, not bo i
1: promise (laughs) 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 Wow, Bo
0: Derek! I think we might be able to blame the costume person. On yeah, that. So.
1: it's true. Yeah. So it's really wonderful that you are aware of it. As I mm-hmm. said, but I think it's super cool that you also talk about like overdose mm-hmm. because you know members of my family have gone through that. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, I wasn't alive to be there, but. I think, especially in like the music world, um, mm-hmm. when there's so much other stuff going on, sometimes that's like the only way out. Mm. Could you like talk more about that and like yeah. your views on it? Yeah. I
0: when I wrote this, um, it was July 4th, and people were celebrating outside, and I heard Tom Petty's "American Girl," which I love. Um, although my most like prominent memory of it, even though I saw Fast Times at high, which apparently it was in there i don't know if you've seen that yeah. movie it's,
1: yeah at some point you're
0: you're gonna you should watch it it's, okay it's very like it informs our culture of the past 30 years i would say but the instance where i remember it is actually from silence of the lamb and where there's such a juxtaposition between this beautiful song, though it has heartbreak in it, and then the serial code. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a very dark song to me. And he had passed away recently, even though it, I think it was a heart failure, but it has some things to do with drugs. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk about, because he, he you know, these older, uh, unless you're the Stones or the Beatles, um, you become faded into Mm -hmm. the background whereas when they were in their prime they were so well known they were gods Mm -hmm. almost Mm -hmm. and they were worshipped and as she said in the music world sometimes people don't know how to deal first with fame Mm -hmm. but then with the lack of fame because Mm -hmm. they were using that fame to sort of fill in the parts that they were missing in life and when the fame fades away Mm -hmm. they really don't know how to deal with it so the drug use is kind of continues but serve different purposes. Mm-hmm. And we actually, I talked about it with some other poets as well, with Liam Marché, for instance, a few weeks back, with Kenneth McNeil II. We talked about the self-destructive behavior and how fame kind of sugarcoats it in some way. It allows you to sometimes get away with not dealing with it, but then a lot of people die so young like Winnie Houston, like Michael Jackson, um, you know, and like Prince even, mm-hmm. all of these people who died around the time that they're only 50. And mm-hmm. 50 is such a jo- young age mm-hmm. for the United States yeah. because people die in the U- United States on average around like mm-hmm. like 80, right, mm-hmm. now. So it's so sad to me because these people are talented, yet because of their fame, because they're chasing fame or lack thereof they're not able to deal with the problems in their own life since you're in psychiatry right you understand
1: not dealing with the problem doesn't make it go away Mm -hmm. so yeah definitely I mean I think that also like ties back into you know why I wrote my poem like not dealing with the problem doesn't make it go away yeah yeah like you can't just ignore what's going on because it doesn't affect you or because you're not supposed to. You can't just say something that you know isn't true just because everybody else does.
0: Right, exactly. You have to have your own moral center. Right. You have to be your own person, Mm -hmm. right? And, And that's something that's supposedly celebrated in this country, yet, you know, when you do act like an individual... That sometimes go against the grain of like what you're doing with the pledge of allegiance, sitting down. Mm-hmm. And what Co- Colin Kaepernick did. Mm-hmm. There's so much backslash. And mm-hmm. So like, what happened to that "E pluribus Bu- unum," right? Mm-hmm. You know, out of many, one. The celebration of the individual.
1: Yeah, right. So. And what's what's the um, stanza where it talks about like sympathy for the devil and all that one? The Sympathy for the Devil is
0: a Rolling Stones song. It's a very well-known, I think. It's, um, well, I didn't know it until my friend introduced mm-hmm. me to it maybe like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with the song. It was such a wonderful song. It again talks about the hypocrisy of what's going on, of how we all contribute to the destruction of our world mm-hmm. in many ways, sometimes by ignoring things and sometimes by actively doing something like lying when about things when the truth is known and muddling the water so sympathy for the devil has this incredible like meaningful lyrics to it about a year ago two years ago i saw it was selling lexus they used uh, the line this line that i talk about so one of the lines is Mick jagger takes on the persona of the devil when he sings this song. Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm a man of a particular wealth and taste. So here I use the line, said, now the luxury vehicle Lexus is selling, using this particular line in Mm -hmm. the song to sell to men of particular wealth and taste. Yeah, so, and it's just so sickening to me Mm -hmm. that this such a meaningful song, is being co-opted to sell a damn car Mm -hmm, and on top of that there's also this sellout aspect Mm -hmm. which again it's throughout the poem Mm -hmm. because this is not something that without the rolling stones okay that they could have used they had to have gotten permission for this which means that the rolling stones in that way is selling out this particular incredibly meaningful song Mm -hmm. And so so it really annoyed me. And it actually starts from the beginning of the first stanza, mm-hmm. you know, now hawking something insignificant in 30 seconds of fame. I'm talking mm-hmm. about commercials. I'm talking about the use of like these poignant songs that are so incredibly relevant again from the 60s, from the, the those protest times, the Vietnam War era, now is significant again for our current culture yet they're being used to sell us stuff mm-hmm. that we probably don't need, We, mm-hmm. you know, and contributing to environmental degradation. Mm-hmm. So all of these things.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think when the skin surface is valued and the depth below tossed, I think those two lines are just so, so telling of – what's going on and I mean to be honest what's been going on like since like you talked about commercials like since they started since people really started valuing the material more than anything else like more (laughs) than like the real abstract stuff so yeah I really really appreciated those two lines thank you at my school because it's a liberal art liberal arts school. Um, we have to read a bunch of philosophy and so we just had to do a comparative analysis essay. Mm. Um, where we take two books of philosophy that we've read. So I used Thomas More's Utopia and mm. Rousseau's Discourse on Inequality mm. and I talked about how a fair society only exists when people scrap material private possessions mm-hmm. and we actually start to focus on building our characters so that we can grow.
0: Right, right. As human beings, we come in this world very underprotected because mm-hmm. you know we easily get physically hurt. So certain material possessions, like home, like little comforts, like fire, mm-hmm. warmth, or a way of cooling, since we're in Arizona, caves, mm-hmm. for instance. Oh, yeah. It, it, little things they really material possessions do make a difference at the same time and she said if we think of those first and not developing our characters mm-hmm. then our relationship with materials mm-hmm. become very skewed mm-hmm. we start to obtain things just for the sake
1: of obtaining right something. Mm-hmm. Uh, And that that really all comes down to Rousseau's concept of perfectibility. I mean, it's a natural tendency that people have where we want to keep on improving ourselves no matter the cost. Right. And it takes pretty much a lifetime to unlearn perfectibility because, you know, oh, yeah, like I have a house that'll provide for me, but my neighbor's house is way bigger. Like, I want a bigger house. (laughs) And, you know, it's just this never-ending snowball effect of greed. Yeah, keeping up with the Joneses because we tend
0: to measure our happiness by comparing what we have with others, Mm -hmm. even if what they have might not actually be as good as what we have Mm -hmm. in substantive terms and, like, you know, maybe they're fighting in that big house all the time. Right, right?
1: exactly. Right. And, I mean, I believe it was Roosevelt that said, comparison is the thief of joy. So, you know, the moment that you start comparing with other people – About things that just really don't matter, Mm -hmm. then it's gonna breed an unhealthy competition. Whereas, you know, if you start comparing yourself to other people with things that do matter, then it helps you grow.
0: Right, right. Like, if this person is doing charity work and you're interested in charity work, How can we help each other in that respect how can we complement each other maybe you can learn from that person where you can do like I told you about these two poetry things right Mm -hmm. and if we had not met you might not find out until later or something like that Exactly. and when I go to poetry events I am especially appreciative of hearing other people's poetry because they inspire me to write more they Mm -hmm. get my creative juices flowing But I do see the tendency of some poets that feel this sort of like, unfortunately, they might feel a little bit bit timid, like they might not believe in their work so much. If they see a poem or a poet does better, there is some unfortunate underhandedness and cattiness, Mm -hmm. which I think should not be because these are all works from our hearts. Mm -hmm. And just Mm -hmm. as we as individuals have our own lives to live, our own, not necessarily destiny, but our life that we need to actualize. Mm-hmm. I think it's very self-destructive and others destructive as well mm-hmm. to keep saying, oh, you know, let me let me try to chip away at that, mm-hmm. um, at what I think might be better than what I'm doing. Yeah. So just sad yeah it's really sad exactly yeah i really appreciated it. okay good and i appreciate that you (laughs) appreciate it yeah it's always nice to talk with a fellow poet and develop an understanding of you know why we individually write what we write and see what we share in common Mm -hmm. in those poems that if you encounter them otherwise you might not think has anything in common right so having these conversations for me I, I always enjoy these conversations that's why I keep I keep mm-hmm. having them so. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so in closing if you can tell us where we could go see you read I mean, I saw you at
1: Infuse for the first time. I don't know if you there are regular places where you go that you would recommend. So I I just started getting back into reading poetry. Um, so probably as much as we can at Infuse, and the ones that you had mentioned to me, we'll try to go as much as possible. Second Thursday at World Play Cafe at the Nile, mm-hmm. and World um, Play Cafe, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, third Thursday at District 4 Poetry um, at Jared's Coffee, Tea, and Gallery. Yeah, I think those
0: will be great. So, besides that, where can people follow you? What
1: social media um, do you have? Yeah. You want to expose them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I do have a private account on Instagram, so mm-hmm. not that many people will be able to follow me. Um, mm-hmm. But my Instagram is at Adriana, A D R I A N A, dot M U R E. And my Snapchat, I, I believe, is just Amplify Twelve. Amplify Twelve. Okay. Yes. So yeah, those are the only two um, social media that I really use. Great, great, wonderful.
0: Well, <laughs> thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking time to share your story
1: with me. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's been fun. Yes.
0: <laughs> Again, you can follow us at PoetsAndMuses.com and on social media on Instagram, Twitter, as well as SoundCloud under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.